Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the NRL Hunter podcast. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Chris Way of Riflecraft. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's um, It's been a little while since you and I have been on a podcast, even though we talk almost weekly. And yeah. uh, I thought it'd be really cool to, to get you on here since you just did your first NRL Hunter team match and uh, kind of pick your brain on that. But before we do, uh, for the listeners that aren't familiar with, you know, Riflecraft and what you do, why don't you give them a heads up? Sure, sure. Riflecraft, you may have seen it on social media. Uh, they're these big diamond targets that people, I encourage folks to shoot on paper. And and one thing that it does is 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 kind of turn your eyes towards the impact you have on where your rounds go. And, and I think that um, for a lot of shooters, the first step in figuring out how to get better is figuring out where you're at now. And if you start logging positional shooting on at a hundred yards on paper, uh, it, it, it kind of activates a part of your brain that, that, that makes you a little bit frustrated and also encourages you to work on your fundamental shooting capability. So I've, I have a website that allows you to enter targets and track your progress uh, to try to bring those groups smaller and and kind of understand your impact uh on on where the the bullet goes on paper and i figured that out not by myself but from talking to good shooters and one common theme from the best shooters in the country that i got kind of talking offline with was that they all shot paper and when i started to shoot paper i noticed that even though one day i might have a really good group it was to the right of my point of aim and even though i had a really good group it might be to the left of my point of aim or above my point of aim. But when you put those all together, it produced a much bigger group. And comparing that to target sizes that we were competing with, uh, they, they started to match up with my hit percentage. And I realized that to bring my hit percentage, to improve my hit percentage and do better at matches, I was gonna need to bring those shots closer to my point of aim. And, and, and that, that's done awesome things for my shooting. And, uh, and then it's turned into that, that, that website. And then uh, I talk about stuff that I noticed talking to people on, on my podcast, The Straight Dope. So that's really cool because I've been in the precision rifle sports since like 2014, maybe a little bit earlier. And in all of my time, I have never met anybody who's actually took the analytics of shooting and quantified it into something that would produce a better result if you followed that that path if that makes sense so you i mean precision rifle shooting is is the weaponizing of math and then you took it a whole other step and you took what your results were figured out mathematically how to become better and have implemented that to the point where you're arguably one of the top shooters in the nation now well, I, you know, I, there's a lot of good shooters. And to differentiate myself from a lot of those top shooters who would probably be offended if, if I said I was as good as they were, um, is, is that, the, you know, all the little sub-disciplines that there are, they have their little specialty tricks to do really good. And, and as you know, um, I'm trying to be as broad and diverse a rifle shooter as I possibly can. I, I don't get into, like, the pistol stuff. Uh, but but as a rifle shooter, you know, I like I like carbines, bolt guns, gas guns, you know, anything that's past 100 yards 
and no matter what you have to do, I'm, I'm into it. And so I'm really strict about making sure I don't specialize. And, and because of that, you know, I think that you need to isolate what your goal is. And, and, and plenty of people don't want to do that. They say, um, you know, I want to specialize in this niche. And, but, but I do think that as a firearm owner, it's a responsibility that you have to know your capabilities. And, and I think that um, knowing where you're at and, that, and how you need to perform for whatever your outlet is, uh, you know, it's kind of on you to know, to, to, to know that and then figure out what you have to do to get better. And quantifying it, to me, makes sense. And, and although I have a, a background in science and, and teaching, um, I also have a background in, in athletics. And I think that, that you know, most of the better athletes out there have to quantify their ability somehow to chart you know, kind of where they are and where they want to be or, or what they have to do to get between, uh, you know, training and then the, the performance day. So I kind of, you know, I, I like to make short stories long. There's a lot of, there's a lot of data that gets tossed around and all that, most of that data is true. Most of that data is completely accurate, but none of it really helps shooters get better, right? If I say, okay, here's a bullet and it's got a, a G7BC of 0.275. And, and then somebody says, oh, well, I have a BC of 0.278. So my bullet must be better. And then they plug it into a calculator and they say, you know, at five miles, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have to hold less elevation or I've got less wind drift. And all, all of that's true, but most of it is, is too detailed to be able to shoot the difference, if that makes sense. You know, if I say, well, some one argument that you see a lot online is, is and we're getting a little bit off sh uh, shooting goals, but they say, okay, if I have an MOA scope and I have a mill scope, and we have two shooters, um, I've seen people arguing that, oh, well, changing a quarter MOA is, is a, a finer tuned adjustment and allow me to be more accurate than somebody that can only dial a tenth of a mil. Now, while that, act, that argument might be interesting, if you could shoot the difference, but the difference between a tenth of a mil and a quarter of an MOA in terms of a shooter's ability to, to, to demonstrate shooting the difference between the two of those fine-tuned adjustments, right? Is, for most people, it's not realistic or, or it's never gonna happen. So I said, well, let's not, let's not, let's stop paying attention to all that. Let's start paying attention to what we can control and we can control our training. And, and so if, if um, you know, if I want to shoot a target that's two MOA and I need to hit it all the time, you know, wh what do I have to do to hit that two MOA all the time? I have to be able to keep my group small enough to hit the target, first of all. And then I have to be able to, then I have to be able to read the wind such that my group size and the effect that the wind's going to have on that bullet stays within that two MOA target. And, and that's really easy to quantify. Uh, it, and it doesn't take a huge amount of work, but it's not something that people do. So they, they go to a match or they go to a target and they shoot and they miss. And they go, well, and they come up with a random kind of wild ass explanation where when it, for the most part, the explanation is one of those two things, right? It, it, it's statistically not realistic for you to expect to hit a target all the time is one one of those answers because you know your shooting group is going to be bigger than the target or that combined with the wind difference and 
And then, um, and, but then what I think is empowering about that is it gives you the chance to say, I need to work these two facets first before I start worrying about my equipment. I need to be able to bring my group size down and I need to be able to bring my wind reading down. And when you combine those two, that's most, in, in reality, for what we like to do with rifles, that's most of the equation. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, some of it has to do with stress and mental mistakes and stability. But for the most part, you know, most shooters, it, it's the, the, the confluence of those two factors. Because after 100 yards, you know, wind variability influences the bullet just enough where this, the target size, if, it, if it's small, and, and we like to shoot small things, starts to amplify the width of the group. And, and, and so, and, you know, and then now, now we say, okay, well, you need to bring your group sizes down and your wind reading ability up. If people focused on those things, we would see the level of shooting in all disciplines go up consistently. And with rifle craft, I've seen, you know, now several dozen shooters really focus on it and get trophies. And for them, that, that justifies, you know, just, just saying, wow, I didn't realize when I switched from kneeling, you know, or my kneeling shots tended to go left and my standing shots tended to go high or low and my prone shots were always pretty centered. And that would explain of this match why, you know, my wind call felt off from everybody else's because, you know, I tend to shoot about an inch left of my point of aim and an inch is about three miles an hour wind. And, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. So it wasn't the wind, it was you. We bring that group close to center. And now your wind call is more accurate. And now your hip percentage goes up and, and that kind of mindset carries over to hunting, to law enforcement, to sniping, to hobby shooting, to just about anything, anything you do. Um, so I, I, I love that. And I, and I, I can talk about it all day as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, the, the fact that you've been able to find, I guess for lack of a better term, a, a formula to help people become more precise with their skill set is, is absolutely outstanding. Um, but then again, it's, you know, it's up to those individuals to practice that, right? Um, oftentimes in the hunting world, you're here about guys that pick up their rifle once or twice a year, they go out to the zero range, they shoot a 12 inch paper plate. And as long as it hits somewhere on that paper plate, they're okay with shooting that rifle at whatever distances. And that could be okay at certain distances, but it can be detrimental at further distances. So for you to be able to provide a training regiment, so to speak, at 100 yards through rifle craft, which, you know, everybody can zero at 100 yards and they can do these type of drills at 100 yards, um, provides an opportunity for people to truly, you know, truly have results other than just hitting a target, right? They can actually read those results and then become better by getting the answer of how to fix that. Yeah, yeah. And the reason 100 yards works is that it essentially takes away the external ballistics that, that layer on top of it. So I think, but, but, uh, but the ego thing plays a role too, because if you, if you take 12 shots, standing nearly and seated prone, build and break each one, there's a really good chance that your group is going to be three or four inches and for a lot of shooters that um it kind of hurts their feelings a little bit but 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 those hurt feelings can turn into you know dedicated effort to bring that group smaller but knowing that that um that you have an 
influence to that extent on where your bullets go, uh, it to me is to me is empowering because then you could pick, like you said, with with hunting, you know, shooting a four inch group isn't bad, right? What what would be bad about that is not understanding, you know, what that means to your ability to shoot at a distance. And I, and I've had some conversations, but just to like make a cliff notes version of this, if if I shoot four inches, um, and I'm shooting at something that's sixteen inches large, you you might say, okay. That, that gives, you know, four, if that increases every hundred yards, um, you know, like in terms of MOA, you, you, you might think, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's not correct to think that at 400 yards, you're going to shoot 16 inches because after you leave that hundred yard zone, external ballistics, mainly the wind start to play a role. And that, that group is actually going to grow. And, and, um, I was actually screwing around uh, here, but, but let me, I, I can read the wind usually at about three miles an hour, which, which for me is, you know, for better or for worse, it's three miles an hour. And with my six, five Creedmoor um, at 400 yards, I, I, I have two point uh, one six, but I'm going to round that up to two tenths of, uh, of lat of, of, it adds to my group two tenths. And, and that's just science. That's not saying that, I, you know, I can't control, in that three mile an hour zone, the addition of that two tenths, because that's what three miles an hour does to my six five Creedmoor. So that two tenths though, that's a little over half an MOA, right? So, cause, cause 0.36 mils is, um, but let's say that's half an MOA. So now um, at, at, at uh, my four inch group at 400 yards is, is 16 inches, just in terms of angular measurement. But now I also have to add um, that, that half of an MOA, right. Which is another two inches. Right. So now, so now, I'm, now, you know, at my very best, I'm shooting, um, you know, whatever it is plus, plus two inches, um, which, which might be acceptable. Right. So I say, okay, well, you know, if I can read the wind at three miles an hour and I can shoot four inches, I can hit an 18 inch target at 400 yards all the time. But if it's smaller than that, some of my shots are going to be outside that acceptable zone and right. so so using that information to, to empower you um i th i think is really helpful right because um but it's one of the one of the key factors or variables that you're mentioning is the fact that you can read three mile per hour up to three mile per hour wind or, or a variable of three mile per hour wind the average person can't the average hunter is not going to be able to to read wind within that close of a measurement of accuracy right they're gonna they're gonna say oh the wind's blowing you know from from the left and they're gonna put out their their little uh wind indicator and see how fast the wind's moving but they're never gonna know exactly or not i mean they're not even gonna know approximately how fast that wind is moving for the average person well but there are tools and ways to to uh, you know i think what, what you're doing with Hunter and Hunter One and, and all of the NRL effort to try to educate people from, you know, kind of kind of marrying up a, a maybe the competition plus the hunting world and saying, like, let's learn from each other. Obviously, the competition world is a very small population of shooters, but we've learned a ton about shooting and the elements of shooting. And, and so there's a lot of cross uh, influence of, of information you know, hunters can can educate 
competitive shooters as to planning and logistics and things that they might not think about and, and competitive shooters or at least juicing competitive shooters to what what goes into actually making a good shot and 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 being able to know that you're going to make a good shot versus just kind of gamble i think i think that's one of the big strengths of the hunter match is that you know when we talk about a hunter that goes and shoots a paper plate a couple rounds and calls it good like that's an imaginary person it's sure there's people that that do that but that imaginary person in their lifetime of hunting will probably never shoot the number of rounds that somebody would shoot if they came to do the skills division at the nrl hunter right because mm-hmm. because you you know they might shoot 140 150 rounds um you know that that's that's longer than a lifetime of hunting so if you consider those each shot an education going to one of those matches could teach them it would be priceless in terms of of what you can extract from learning to read the wind uh, because you don't have the time to hold up your kestrel and ask people what the wind speed is and, and do before you time out but you could go into it having looked at the weather report you could go into it with a kestrel before you go onto your stage and you can say okay you know i kind of understand what plays a role in making this hit but you know, even if you stand in a staging area with a Kestrel and say, okay, the wind is now coming in, let's say at eight miles an hour, you know, just from my left. And then you go and you find your shot and you say, okay, well, the angle that it's coming in is going to mean that it's going to be less than eight miles an hour. And you shoot, you, you, you can judge the impact of the round and say, okay, you know, I'm getting it. And, and, and if you wrote down how far from your point of aim you were off, you could literally quantify your ability to read the wind. In fact, I'm, I'm, you know, developing and offering like a, a, a shooter measuring, I call it the unconventional skills assessment, but it's, a, it's basically a two day exam, you know, and it's not a course because I don't want to teach people how to shoot, but I want to measure their ability to read the wind, estimate distance, transition yeah. their equipment, deploy it, move it. And we're doing it at, at Frank Galley's range here in Colorado. Uh, it, 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 it's like a class, but rather than saying, you know, do this, do this, do this, we're saying like, do whatever you do, but we're every shot we're going to quantify and put it in the computer so that afterwards I could say, okay, you, you can read the wind in this kind of shot to plus or minus this many miles per hour to empower you to understand um, your individual capabilities, not only in group size and position and stability and equipment, but also wind reading and, and then a number of other factors to it. But those things um, I'm surprised that more people don't openly talk about it because it's it's very applicable to every type of shooting you know you you have to at least know within a certain range you know how good are you at at measuring the wind and right now the information that's out there it's so detailed and specific but it doesn't represent shooters it's like beyond you know it's a godly level shooting you know or or it's just the it's just the physics or the math that explains the ballistics, but it, it doesn't give shooters an actual tool to know whether they'll make the shot or not. You know, right. uh, and then so there's a bit there's a big misinformation gap between, uh, you know, the stuff that's tossed around and then what people can actually do with their guns. And I, and I think that that creates a big divide between populations, and 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 it's like, man, we would all benefit from from kind of cross learning cross training from each other and and i think that that right now from what i've seen the the hunter matches are kind of the ultimate laboratory for 
all shooters to be able to test where their skills are at kind of on an even level across the way hunters can come see like where where do my where where does my process break down and where where might i not want to shoot past just you, you know that that's not even with quantifying it's, it's saying like you know at what distance or what target size did you actually miss that target well maybe you should reconsider you know hunting past that distance right now that you've proven that you've missed and and just because you get an impact doesn't mean that you can always get an impact at that distance but i think people you know have an intuitive sense of that once they go to a match and start missing targets and go wow man i'm not as good as i thought i was and and that's a good wake up call for anybody to have in anything that they do because um you know there's there's a lot that that is involved with with shooting and hunting uh so so i think man i think it's awesome because um i've i've literally i've done um I, I'm, I, I'm not gonna remember right now but i think i've done 600 matches maybe seven right. and and uh over 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 the years since they started and 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 i've never walked away from a hunter match having not learned a few very very valuable skills like each one is like a a, a, a fundamentally like ch- changed my shooting realization whether it's equipment or or build and break or deploy or 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 how do I find targets better or, or how do I remember where my target was or or you know what's going to go into the actual shot process every single one I've learned something and and there's definitely been other styles of shooting matches that I've left kind of scratching my head why I even went in the first place and not really having learned anything other than you know I don't I don't even know like shit that sucked <laughs> So, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm super enthusiastic about the hunter matches because not only are they uh, almost a priceless education on shooting and your process, but also like the the um, the feeling. You know, I'm a I'm a. I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time talking about feelings, but but um, it's so positive and enthusiastic, and you've got people there that have never shot a match before smiling and laughing and having fun and being encouraged by the best shooters and and really like and it and it it's really enthusiastic and motivating in a way that that um i haven't seen as consistent in other other styles of, of shooting events but this one i've never been to a hunter match that didn't have that feel to it even though they're different match directors they're they're often different shooters um, it just feels welcoming and fun. It feels like the right thing. You know, right. it feels like, like, um, you know, this turning into something awesome. And that's huge. I want to, I want to go back to, you know, you're talking about, you learn something every time you go to a hunter match. And recently you just competed in, in Wyoming at Colin Fawzen's match. But for the first time in a hunter match, you competed as a team. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure you and I can sit here for hours talking about the different things that you've learned in more more specific, but I'm curious from, because the team division is new and, and it's growing really fast, what have you learned or what did you learn from last weekend's match doing it as a team that, you know, was kind of like a, oh yeah moment or, you know, j- just a, a revelation, so to speak. You know what? What? What was that dynamic? How did that work for you? What'd you learn, and would you do it again? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. Let me try to organize my my mind here. <laughs> I've shot. I, although this is my first hunter match, I have shot several team matches in within shooting, but this one really stood out in a couple unique ways. Um, having shot them before as an individual, I thought. Well, the first thing I thought, which which I, I have changed my mind, but going into it, I thought, okay. I usually finish with a minute to go on a stage at a hunter match, you know, about a minute to spare. We get four minutes. And I'm, so I thought, you know, I'm really good at finding targets if I find them. Uh, although I make mistakes, like there was, there's plenty of matches where like I couldn't find a target and then I timed out and got a zero. But if I find the targets, I find them quick and then, and then shoot them. So I thought, wow, as a team, we're going to have so much time. And that turned out not to be true. Even though you get six minutes, I thought, going into it wow this is going to be so much extra time and reflecting back on the process um it, it it kind of highlighted a couple extremely important aspects to shooting that gets neglected if you're just shooting by yourself and one is data management in a in kind of a u universal language because if you see something you could circle or do something or other that you know your dope, you know your distance, you know, you, you don't have to communicate it, but subconsciously you can remember where the targets are, what is the distance, and you can make a, a wind call. But when you have to communicate that information to another human, it has to, first of all, be in a common language and it has to be efficient. And that can break down really quickly if it's not practiced what it can do for the individual i think is get you thinking about like what what's actually important information what's not important information and so i think it could help the individual and the team um so uh my friend cody and i hadn't hadn't shot a team match together and we we talked about you know some thoughts and ideas about going to the match and then you know we went for it and we went as ro so we shot the whole the whole match in a day and uh fortunately for us like it was super windy. So we were forced to communicate. And even though I, like I, I'll talk a lot to you and I'll talk a lot on my podcast and stuff like that. I don't, I don't often like when we're out uh, say as much. And so I might be thinking something, but thinking something or, or pointing out a target and having to do it concisely and quickly, you know, that had to happen. That had to happen really fast only that but you couldn't just say like hold right or hold left you know or or hold um you know a lot of a lot of shooting lingo you know it'd be like oh just hold on on left edge or favor right or hold you know just just off plate or that was not happening on the day we shot it was like you know hold two and a half mils or you know three mils or something like that but we were communicating in miles per hour and and being able to verbalize that reinforced um our styles and we both come from completely different shooting backgrounds. And, and so being able to kind of find that common ground and communicate that information was really nice because, uh, you know, not only could you say, okay, I think, you know, I think the, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's 30 miles an hour, but it's coming in from, um, you know, four thirty, So, or, or, or what, you know, whatever. And so that's 75% of that. So I think I'm going to hold for 20 miles an hour. Uh, and, and, and so you're trying to make these angular, um wind corrections with really strong wind and, and then you're telling your shooter 
um, okay, 20 miles an hour at this distance, you're going to hold, you know, a certain mill subtension. And so you're, you're managing their data and, and then you see where the bullet goes and then you make the correction. And then, you know, then you want to relay not only the correction, but dialogue that information. It was, I think it was really valuable to be in hard conditions because, um, you know, if, if, if there weren't, you, it would have been really easy to just kind of go independent style and be like, okay, you know, just favor a little left center or something like that. And, and, and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have. So I think that's important. And second of all, like most people hunt in pairs and being able to manage each other's equipment together and really work together. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people um, are kind of protective of their equipment or, or, you know, if I'm going to extend my bipods or adjust my tripod and, by the by the by the second half of the day, we were adjusting each other's tripods and extending each other's bipods and occasionally like dialing each other's dope. You know, we were really getting hands on on the other person's process to try to save time because we were always butting right up against that six minutes. And so, being able to kind of actively, um, kind of get involved in each other's shooting it taught us both a lot. And afterwards we, we, we talked about what we learned and what we saw and what we would do different. Uh, there was, there was like pages of notes and, and you don't get that. You don't get that when you do it by yourself because, um, you know, by yourself, you kind of have a hunch or a feeling or you, or you might think like, well, maybe I would, you know, maybe I should do this different, but with a partner, you have to acknowledge it and, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't go unsaid. And so by saying it out loud, then you have to deal with it. And, and a lot more learning took place for both of us. And both of us feel like, you know, we would like to do more together. So um, that to me uh, really stood out in this Hunter. And it's fun to have uh, somebody there to, to, just, to just chat with and, right. um, and stuff. Whereas like other events that I had done as teams, like where the competition dynamics, that even though you shoot them as a team, they're much more independent uh, in terms of what, each shooter is doing because their 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 roles and their jobs are different. Whereas at the hunter, we just alternated who went first. We we didn't want to, we didn't go in saying, um, you know, I know because after we rode and we talked to some teams and they strategized who was going to go first all the time and who was going to be the spotter all the time. And we really wanted to cross back and forth, and that was really fun. Why? Um, why? Like, I'm curious why you chose that because when I shot in California as a team. I had my partner who's less experienced than me. I had him always go first because I knew I could find targets better than him. Why did you guys choose to alternate instead of staying consistent throughout? Well, I, I think that um, we hadn't shot as a team before. And I don't think it's fair to say, uh, you know, I think, you know, it, it's kind of silly to, it, 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 I don't know. It just, it, it was just one of those things that we agreed on just alternating who went first and what roles we took. And then we just reversed them back and forth to see, um, to see if there was anything we could learn from each other. Because again, like we, we both have experience shooting, but we both have different experiences shooting and, and, and my partner hadn't done a match like this. So you, you, you know, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say like, you know, this is the way we're going to do it without having seen how we both operate in both of those roles. And then um, I went like full nerd mode. I pulled out Excel 
and crunched all the numbers in terms of hit percentage points on, you know, first shot, second shot for, because we had a, a paper score sheet, not just practice score. Right. So, so every individual shot was marked, hit, miss, hit, you know, hit, 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 whatever. And, and there was no statistical significance to who went first um, and who went second. And it was really, in terms of statistics, there, the data set wasn't big enough with the hundred some odd shots that we each took to, to prove that there was an advantage to going first or second, even though the numbers were higher for the second shooter, it still, it, statistically, it, it didn't stand out as being significant, but I thought maybe there would be um, numbers to, to, to justify saying, okay, maybe the next match, one of us should go first and one of us should go second, but it didn't turn out to be the case, at least mathematically, but, but, but the sample size, because our averages were close enough, the sample size would have had to been like 4,000 shots, you know, to, to prove it, you know, there, there may have been like, you know, five or six points in favor of one of us going first and one of us going second, but five or six points, like, you know, whatever, like, we, we, you know, we're there to learn and grow and have fun. And, and what I think we learned is that, you know, it's hard to shoot in really strong winds and, um, our wind reading ability was was pretty good considering, but um, that um, you know there, there's still a lot to work on and learn and and, and it was crazy like I, I you know having never shot in winds that strong for a whole day like we literally like got to witness aerodynamic jump and uh, all sorts of like things that you read about but you can't really say like for sure was that it well these targets some of them were small enough vertically that in order to hit it you had to account for it and we accounted for it and got impacts and said wow you know like, you know you're dropping the elevation of a target that's four tenths tall by three tenths and in getting impacts you know i think that that was uh it was cool to see um you know what we would have been happier had we hit more targets but but you know i think a lot of the points that we dropped was just simply communication breakdown and not the actual shooting you know there's shots we didn't take there were shots that we took that maybe um you know i forgot to dial for a second target and then realized and so, so that was point lost and you know th there were little little uh, mental mistake things that you learn and, and those mental mistakes especially with a partner you have to own those and 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 when i when i look back at all my matches most of my points lost at most matches these days are from mental mistakes and so those those things you can't ignore you got to own and say okay you know if i'm going to make a mental mistake i need to factor that into my ability to make a shot and build a better process like you know if i was hunting a deer or an elk or something like that um and i based all my decision making simply on ballistics uh you know i, I think that that's dangerous but you don't know what kind of mental mistakes that you make until you go put yourself on a clock on a blind uh, stage repeatedly and then do it flawless. And so far, like I haven't ever been to a match where I have ran a perfect mental mistake free match. And because of that, uh, I'm very conscious of, 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 of thinking about stuff like that. Like how would I build a, a safeguard system of checks and balances um, to avoid some of those mistakes and, so, and I haven't, I haven't, haven't figured that out yet. So do you think it was more stressful to shoot as a team or less stressful for you personally? 
I, you know, I didn't feel any stress at this match. Uh, I have felt stress at Hunter matches that would, and, and, and a lot of that stress came down to panicking because I haven't found a target. Like, I, I, and I, and I've heard other good shooters say the same thing. Hunter matches can induce massive levels of stress when you can't find a target and you know, the clock's ticking down. Yes. And you're like, Where's that fourth target, especially the, the four target, you know, you find three of them, but you can't find a fourth. So you're not sure, you know, you might know where the first target is, but you're not sure which of the two, the ones that you found are, and you're freaking out and freaking out. And then you got to make a decision. Do I shoot the ones that I found or, and, and because I've timed out, on stages like that at pretty much every match prior to this, uh, that stress is, is real. Um, this match, finding the targets was pretty easy. So there was no, there really was no, no stress. Um, I think the only tension that I felt, there was a time where uh, I started ranging the, I, I saw all four targets and i started ranging them and calling off numbers and i was calling off numbers and 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 and, and, and i thought cody was writing them down but he didn't know which target i was referring to and i just wasn't being clear so you know he's like what do you mean and 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 i was ranging the target i was kind of speaking out loud because um you know with a with a with a laser range finder you think okay well if i ping it that's the distance but sometimes you know, based on the beam and the divergence, you're not really ranging the target itself. You might be ranging a bush behind it or the ground below it. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll try to ping the target and I'll try to ping to the right of it, to the left of it, above it, below it, and try to get a sense of the numbers that are coming back. And I was saying those out loud. So he's writing down all these numbers. He goes, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You've just listed, <laughs> listed off like 30, 30 numbers. What's, you know, and he's trying to write down all the shit. And, and I'm just, I'm talking out loud, like trying to come to terms with like, what's the actual distance? Because in this terrain, it was really easy to miss, misrange things. And I was trying to do my best to get the right number, but I wasn't keeping it to myself. So he has all these numbers that he's writing down. And he has no idea which one's the target or what the sequence is. And I stopped and realized he didn't have it. So then I decided to start all over and was going to walk him onto targets. And at that point, it took too long. And so uh, he shot at the targets and he hit them. And I transitioned to shoot it and we timed out. And th there was some frustration there because um, the, we hadn't worked through those kinks. And, you know, it was, it was, it was certainly my fault. And I needed to be aware of the fact that, 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 um, you know, if I, I just need to keep my mouth shut and only say things that are important because anything that came out of my mouth, he wanted to write down. But at this point now he's got, you know, 15 numbers and he doesn't know which targets, which, or what I'm talking about. Numbers for two targets. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and then it's like, you know, and I, and, and I just want to say like, God, you know, just read my mind because I just, spouted off all you know and and, right. and and at that point i hadn't written anything down so um that that was stressful because that stress knowing i screwed up and yeah. it's gonna have consequences not only on him but on me and then i just kind of felt like a dumbass and but but the thing is like you know those are the times where you actually learn something because if you if you screw up and you don't acknowledge it and there's no one there, a lot of times you could just blow it off. Say, ah, you know, whatever. 
uh, you know, it was, it was it was a little thing, but it's like, man, it's not a little thing when it affects your partner, and then it affects you, and then you time out, and you don't get the points that you know you know you you know you know you could have hit the targets, but too bad, so sad. Six minutes is up. That that's priceless, I think, and um, and uh, on top of that, you know, when you're shooting, you don't always see bullet trace. Uh, you know, and I, I don't, I don't usually see it anyway, but, but, yeah, um, you say more often but when not, I'm shooting, you, you know, and with a six, five Creedmoor, a lot of times you see dirt splash or you can, you can see it when it hits the plate, but being able to be a partner, now you can get on glass and actually watch trace. So, so not only are you getting the experience of shooting, but you're actually watching another person shoot the same targets and see the effects of wind. So you're, you're getting that field experience twice. Right. And you don't get that as, as an individual. Um, and, and so uh, I'm, I'm sure listeners have heard that, that one way to learn wind and to learn a lot of this stuff is to watch other shooters shoot or be an RO or be on glass while other people are shooting because you could see that trace. And as a team at these hunter matches, you get to watch all of the shots your partner takes. Right. And you learn a ton by watching that, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's not funny. It's it's cool when you RO. A lot of people think ROing they associate it with being a chore, but when you actually get behind and go with the intention of trying to learn something, pay attention. Being a RO at any of these type of matches, you can actually learn a hell of a lot more than if you just try to go through and shoot it without paying attention. Um, I have definitely RO'd more matches than I have shot. And I'm pretty good behind glass now, being able to spot things and see where they hit and call, you know, call corrections and things of that nature. You know, and it's it's really an invaluable skill set to be able to learn how to do that, to be able to correctly call, you know, wind, correctly make correctly give data for the proper corrections. Um is a whole nother skill set. You know, a lot of times you've heard our, you know, you've heard people say, oh, you're you're just off the left edge. Well, just off the left edge could be an inch or it could be five feet, you know, um, depending on the distance and, and the angle that you're shooting at, it looks different, right? So all of that type of stuff, if you're, if you're new to the sport and you have an opportunity to RO or just go sit with an RO, it's cool because you get to watch everybody come through that stage and see what worked well and what was a complete mishap. So it's a cool experience. Oh yeah. 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 Watching 150 shooters come through and do the same stage blind. And that's another thing that, that I don't get, it doesn't get mentioned enough that in shooting, if, you know, I think if in shooting, you really want to test your skill set, not only, you have to go out and do stuff but it has to be blind and you have to be you know if you're working as a team great but an individual if you know you you won't know anything about your wind reading ability if you don't go shoot it blind and you won't know anything about your ability to do things unless you go do it and so these being blind you literally get to watch people solving a problem on their own and because of that, you get to see a massive amount of creative solutions to a problem. And there's not always one 
effective solution. There's there's often tons, and you get to watch these people solve the problem based on their skill sets and playing to their strengths, and and then sometimes just winging it. And um, I think I think that's incredible, and and it makes you appreciate what people are able to do. I actually thought to myself, uh, you know, and I, I have no idea why, but I there's a, a there was a distinct moment where I thought like, I'm really glad that these people aren't shooting at me because like most of them would have, would have got me, you know what I mean? Like just thinking like, Oh, well, it's pretty hard to hit a target or something like that. Like these people were good shooters across the board and they solved the problem in so many unique ways and they were fast and accurate. And, 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 and some people, uh, used very minimal equipment and I, I really appreciate the less is more and and at, at these hunter matches I think that that definitely plays to s- success the more stuff people had the slower they went and and it didn't seem to help but the less stuff that people were capable with tended to have a smoother and and more accurate um, hit percentage and uh, that goes all the way to a guy that shot essentially offhand I mean he he laid down prone so his elbows were on the ground, but he didn't have bipod or anything, and he just shot the targets. And um, you know, pe- seeing people with those skill sets was inspiring, and makes me want to train in in those areas a lot. Yeah, it's a it's amazing what. <clears throat> so, I mean, you brought up gear, and so we can touch on that. I think it would be cool to touch on that topic, but gear is, in my mind, it's both a blessing and a curse right so you'll find some people go out and they'll they'll compete in hunter matches like you said very minimalistic one bag a tripod bipod very very minimalistic but then you'll see the guys that go out there with all of the minimal stuff but then they're also carrying three or four extra bags and they're carrying you know all of these other contingency items of a what if unknown scenario but in reality you know, if you're going on a hunt, you know, well, I guess it depends on what type of hunt you're going on. But if you're going into a backcountry hunt, carrying all of that extra gear can not can not only be a detriment, but it could also be a crutch to your performance. Correct? Uh, maybe. I, I think that I think I I would end up in more arguments with people about this subject just just because. Um, I don't always agree, but but let, let's back up. Um, the one of the few people that I saw time out on my stage uh, came up and they put their stuff down, but they put their stuff down about eight feet away from the shooting position, and they went up and they found the targets, and then they went back to their pack and got a bag, and went back to their rifle, and then they realized they didn't need another bag, so they got up and they, they and they struggled to get another bag out of their rifle, and they went back and they build a position and they got some shots off, but they timed out before they could move to second position because they were messing around with their equipment. Now, at, at a match, you know, um, they're being timed on a hunt. You know, you definitely have a, a timer because the animal has a say in what happens. So if you're fighting with your equipment, you might be making a lot of noise and jostling around and, and whether or not the animal hears you and moves or whether they would have just moved Anyway, it's hard to speculate on, but you, you definitely want to be efficient and not waste time 
because the more time you waste, the there's a chance something could go wrong. I, I think that learning from a hunter match in that regard would be having your stuff within arm's reach, right? When it comes to equipment, like if you're going to have your stuff, have it within arm's reach and what, and, and bring what you need, but not too much extra. But if I imagine that scenario out in the mountains hunting, I would imagine that you carry in a bunch of crap to a base camp and then you strip down into a, a light stocking load. And, and now you've got a lighter pack and less equipment that you go out and you, you glass with. So, you, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily carrying out a ton, but you're carrying around what, you, so that if you've practiced with that equipment and you know that you could take a shot in a variety of positions with what you're carrying, try to figure out what the least amount is, right? To, to take it back to rifle craft. If I was going to go hunting, you know, with a bag, then I would, I would try to set up a standing, kneeling, seated, prone shot and know my group size with the bag that I was going to hunt or the, the equipment that I was going to hunt with. Um, when it comes to the stuff that I might take with me, personally, I would just take a tripod and, and I would, I don't even, I don't even care if it's a big tripod. I, in fact, I would take a big tripod. I would, I would take a, you know, I like my recon, the two vets recon. Yep. And I don't know what, it, I don't know what it weighs, but I'm going to, I'm going to guess like it weighs four pounds or something like that. Sounds about right. And and I would take a, a recon with a with a with my anvil on it because I know that I could shoot an inch from any position. You know, my craft number clipped in with my hunting rifle is is basically an inch, which which for me like that that's where I shoot. And um, and I've gone to hunter matches multiples and shot the entire hunter match deliberately from my tripod, avoiding prone on purpose to prove that I could do it. Now you might say, well, that tripod weighs four pounds and you could shave weight by taking a two pound smaller tripod. And the problem that I have with that is that those two pound tripods have inherent wobble that increases my shot size. So instead of a two inch group, I don't have a super light tripod, but I have tested some and shot them, but I might have an inch and a half group because of just the inherent wobble. And if it was windy, like it was in Wyoming, now I might have a bigger than a two inch group because I, we literally couldn't remove the wobble from the wind being jostled by it. So the confidence that I have and the repeated performance using a little bit of a heavier tripod uh, outweighs the work that I would have to do to carry an extra two pounds. Um, because you could, you could account for that in advance, like, you know, exercise now somebody might say well yeah it's easy for you to say now sitting on the couch um you know or in your basement talking but like i mentioned i've done a couple other uh, shooting competitions that are team and one of those was the sniper adventure challenge and when we won the sniper adventure challenge i carried that same tripod the entire 48 hours um with my rifle and my rifle was 16 pounds in that, in that competition. So I carried a 16 pound rifle, you know, four whatever pound tripod because um, I had a feeling that the shooting was going to be more challenging that year from the previous year when, when we didn't carry a tripod and it worked out just fine. Unfortunately, uh, I had my tripod because the shooting was challenging and, and we were able to get, you know, the highest shooting score using that tripod. So, you know, I, I think that you need to know your capability, you know, just like with shooting, 
you need to know your group size from any position from your point of aim, right? Not now, not, I didn't emphasize this, but I, I, I'm kind of a broken record when it comes to this. If you shoot a group and your group is a quarter of an inch, I don't consider that group a quarter inch unless the center of that group is your point of aim, right? I consider that group, the center of that group is your point of aim and the group goes from the outer edge of that group size, right? That's twice the distance from your point of aim to the outer edge of that group. So you draw a big circle. So if you, you know, cause it's not unusual to see a shooter say, look at my load, it's a quarter of an inch, but problem is it's an inch off your aim point. So now you've got, you know, basically an inch and a half, two and a half inch, you know, shooting gun. So, um, but, 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 but the flip side goes to your fitness. If you're going to, um, you know, do something, you should, you should also have baselines for fitness and baselines for your capabilities. And, and, and when you decide what equipment to take into the field, uh, some things are going to weigh more, but, but are necessary. And you could, you could save weight in other areas that might be unnecessary. And you can account for a lot of that just by training and saying, okay, you know, I've, I've trained myself to be able to carry more than I expect to carry or longer than I expect to carry. And then on game day, you could pare down, you could, you could take a little bit lighter shoes. You could, um, you know, cut out something that you may or may not need to carry at that particular moment and account for that. Or you could just lose two pounds and all of a sudden, you know, the two pounds of your tripod uh, is absorbed by the fact that, that you awesome. walk two pounds off your belly. So then the gear that you take for your competition at the NRL Hunter, is it the same gear that you would take when you go harvest your elk or whatever? No, you want? no, because it's a competition. Um, you know, the, the time it takes to deploy it uh, and the time that it, uh, and, and, and some of the rules around the competition itself, like um, I hunt a little bit differently. Uh, I would, first I would carry a little bit bigger pack knowing that I was going to have to carry in meat bags and then start carrying out. Uh, and, and, and then I would have, knives and um whoa are you still there yeah man my, my phone just kind of freaked out uh so you know going yeah going going out with the actual purpose of hunting um you know i would have things that i that i don't carry at the hunter matches now if i was going to do a hunter match right before hunting season as prep i would probably do that live fire right to, to make sure that it that it would work i think that would be really fun but right. i think that that saying like you need to do this in four minutes um, you know, it is a competition and it's geared towards inducing stress and using stuff. Yes, I would use the tri same tripod. I would use the same rifle. I'd use the same binoculars. Those I would carry the same. But hunting, I would probably have a bigger pack and I would have a little bit more safety equipment with me, a little bit more water because at stages there's water provided at the hunter matches and, right. and in the mountains there wouldn't be uh, stages with water and I would probably carry a little bit more survival and medical equipment hunting uh, than I do you know I've got a tourniquet I've got a, a blowout kit in uh, you know whenever I go to a match but you know in the field I, I have a pretty big med kit just in case something happened and um, so and and then I I wouldn't necessarily have my tripod hanging like stowed the way I do on the outside of my pack for the hunter match to take it off um, and, and, uh, 
I would have my book closed. And, you know, if I was, if I was hunting, I would have a, a magazine in with a book closed on an empty chamber, but, but, but in, you know, in terms of safety and, and protocol at a match, like you, you don't do that. So there's, so there's some minor things that I would probably do differently, but it would be more or less the, the a similar procedure. Um, your, main, you know, for a, your rifle, your tripod, your binos, your, your shooting bags would all be the same. Yes. Uh, although I would probably have a bigger pack. Um, and, and I wouldn't take a shooting bag uh, just because I'm going to shoot off a tripod. And so, um, when you shoot off a tripod, do you lock in or are you just placing it on top of a plate? I, I lock in. You lock, okay, yeah. gotcha. I got a plate, but it doesn't fit the Arca. So I haven't messed around too much with a plate. And I actually shoot better off a tripod if I put a game changer on it and shoot like my groups and my time is faster but I wouldn't take a game changer like into the field for that purpose because you know you might set yourself up knowing that the elk are going to cross through here at a specific time of day or in the morning you know sometimes they come up into the you know and they come up and they go down in the morning and so you you know you might get set up already and you may have ranged distances already. So if your rifle's clipped in and it's ready to go, and you have a good position, uh, and you might just be hanging out waiting, uh, I, I, I don't want to run the risk of having it tip over, or, or, or you know, I'll just clip it, clip it straight in. But I mean, I'm perfectly comfortable shooting off a bag, and um, but there's the the practicality of clipping it in uh, outweighs a little bit of of not clipping it in and um at least now that that's that's how i would approach it is is clipped into a tripod uh and and um and that that would be that you know uh -huh. and i just use a, the bipods as a kickstand because here you know i don't know you could find print shots i'm sure but it, it, it to me it makes no difference like i shoot the same from any position you know as far as i'm concerned i shoot the same for many positions uh, so with your skill set every every hunter should have their comfortable limit of engaging that animal right like i know that i can shoot past a thousand yards and i know you know i know i can do that type of stuff i personally at this current time don't feel comfortable taking a shot on an animal you know I, outside of five or 600 yards. That would be a long shot for an animal for me. Um, I know that I can do it, but shooting steel and missing is one thing. Shooting an animal and wounding is completely different. What would you say as yours, not what you think other people should do, but based off of your analytics and, and your rifle craft, what would you say is, your limit that you would be comfortable taking that shot at if that makes sense i i could tell you right now that that i'm not going to take a shot at a distance that i feel comfortable at because personally like i i like the challenge of getting close so i'm i i wouldn't want it to, even though i i could come up i'll come up with a number just for shits right but i'm telling you that i won't take that shot because i want to get as close as possible like if, if i have a 75 yard shot on an elk I will literally try to cut that in half before I shoot at it. And if I scare it or make a noise, um, if I scare it or make a noise or spook it somehow, like that's my fault. 
And I feel like I would rather the animal get away because, you know, its instincts went, went crazy. Like I, I literally, I want to be able to smell it before I shoot it. And, wow. Okay. Um, and like, so, you know, I've hunted, I've hunted like, uh, like these, these goats and, um, yeah, I probably shouldn't, but I, I was trying to catch them by hand because, um, <laughs> like I, I literally like, you know, I mean, I've traveled around the world doing, doing a lot of things. And so I've, I've, I've had the experience of hunting to eat and to survive. And, and I've been places in the world where it's like, okay, you know, this isn't a survival situation, but, but we need food to eat. But nevertheless, like, I, I want it to be fun. And I want it to be, um, you know, one of those things where you get a lot of adrenaline and dopamine, and it's a rewarding experience. And to me, um, you know, shooting a long shot is rewarding to hit a piece of steel it's not rewarding to to hit an animal to me what's rewarding is saying like that animal has evolved to have threat protection instincts and i want to get inside its threat protection instinct bubble or i'm not interested so like, then i asked the completely wrong question what's the closest you've harvested animal very close <laughs> <laughs> very very close to me that's the exciting part of it and it makes it taste better and feel better and um you know across the board it's a, a satisfying thing for me to get as close as possible and See, I, and i know that like ethically you know you can go in terms of the ethical argument just just to play devil's advocate i've chased down an animal like exhausted it I've, I've, so I've, I've chased it down and, and then up a cliff and then exhausted it and then and then it died ethically that might go against some people's in fact like th there was even a person uh there that, that felt like maybe it wasn't fair because it scared the hell out of the animal for a while while we were chasing it and so so that might that might be that might be true and and um although i don't i don't really feel guilty but but because it was a good experience but on the other hand like in terms of ethics i think that um for me personally, uh, you know, knowing knowing your capability and and making sure that you can explain and justify that that shot is worth taking is really important. And, and I talk about training scars sometimes, and I think that that being used and comfortable with just taking a shot and not knowing what your hit probability is is, is probably a training scar that will. will ultimately cause a shooter more problems outside of a competition setting like if, if i say okay i'm going to put a one moa i'm going to put a 10 inch plate at a thousand yards no shooter won't take a shot at it right but most shooters aren't going to get a first round impact right right and and but nobody's giving it a second thought like it, it doesn't matter right we're just going to lay down and take a shot at it you know hit or miss and we're going to see where our miss is and we're probably going to make a correction whatever but 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 no thought goes into that and so it's developing um a behavioral pattern of you know this is what i do i shoot at things at long distance hit or miss and then i make a correction and without thinking about the consequences of that or seeing what would happen you know if if, if you just miss off the kill zone of an animal right that goes through its gut right and that's that's unethical now some people don't care and 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 that's that that's another that's another conversation. And I'm not the ethics police, right? Because again, like, you know, I've probably done things in my life that that people would not be super psyched about, um, you know, in in various um, 
scenarios, outlets, or, or activities and scenarios. Not not with it, not with it, not not hunting, but but um, or maybe maybe hunting, but um, but I think that um, as well, I'm really curious, and and I encourage people just to think about like how they approach something and what are the consequences and what are the consequences of not thinking about and just doing things uh, reactively, right? Like, um, I, I don't, was it, was I talking about you on the last podcast? Uh, like if you get on, like I, I'll look at YouTube for random shooting things, right? And uh, trying to extract like, you know, what do people do with guns and, and what are they thinking about? And what are people really, really curious about? One of the things that you always read about is like over penetration of bullets. And, and it's like, okay, um, and, and really it dawned on me because the range, I, I train on a private range that, that trains uh, law enforcement. And so I'm always seeing departments from, you know, the, the, the 50 mile radius going there and doing quals on these, you know, human sized targets, the silhouettes. And they're doing their pistol calls and they're carving quals and, and you see, get to see that the, um, you know, the accuracy standards. And, and you ask yourself like, okay, you're worried about like over penetrating a human, you know, like what bullet's going to just pass right through somebody like in a, in a self-defense, but, but like, you know, 80% of your shots are going to miss that person anyway and go through the wall. So like, you know, instead of worrying about like, you know, is my two, two, three round going to go through this home invader? I, I would be more concerned about just making sure that I hit the stupid home invader first <laughs> right? <laughs> because, because if you start emptying a magazine, and, 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 and three rounds hit the person, but 27 rounds go around them. Like they're, they're good. You know, they're still flying around. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. let's, 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 let's talk about this in layers. And the first layer that we need to do is be able to actually hit the thing that we intend on hitting with our first round. And the only way to, to say I can hit it, you know, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, you could say, like, oh, so-and-so hit, you know, this with their first shot. Well, that could just be luck, right? Like people win the lottery all the time. I'm more interested in saying like, if you took a hundred shots, would all hundred shots be within the kill zone? Right. Right. That, that would be confidence. And that's why the hunter matches teach you so much because like until nobody's cleaned one, right? I think, well, I think that's clean a bull, but nobody's Paul, cleaned one. Paul Downing came within one point. Okay. But he's a good hunter. He's a good Excellent. shooter. Excellent. And like 99 you know, 99.99 whatever percent of people, first of all, haven't trained as much as him, True. right? He would be able to tell you in probably more detail than I can about his capabilities, about his hip percentage, about the distance. And he's also probably not going to shoot at something that far away, um, you know, without all the, the, so he's not, I'm not, you know, he's the last person I'm going to worry about you know, unless he's hunting me, um, <laughs> right. you, know, he, you know, he's a responsible role model in the shooting world, hands down, but people should look to him and say, if he missed a shot, I could miss a shot. Right. Absolutely. And, and if, 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 if Paul Dallin can miss a shot at a hunter match, I need to rethink my maximum effective ethical hunting distance. Right. That's, that's my takeaway from this is to say like, Yes, it should be empowering. It should make you a better shooter and it should make you reconsider the distance you're willing to shoot at an animal because you're probably not as effective as you think you are. Right. And that goes to me too. Like, and like, I said, like, oh, so 
I, but to humor you, like I, right now, I'm, I'm consistently shooting uh, uh, like a craft uh, number. It, it, a craft number doesn't correspond to inches, but I'm going to break it down into inches. Uh, uh, let's say I, I could pick up any rifle. I'm talking about like my short barreled AR to uh, you know 300 Win Mag 6.5 PRC, and I could always shoot a 1.2 inch group, right from my point of aim. So right. so, so you know it's, it's it's kind of right, and so I'm going to round that up to an inch and a half. Okay. This is how I would break through that. So I'm going to say like I can shoot 1.5 MOA, any rifle, um, and and. Uh, so I'm going to just round that up to an inch and a half. And I can read the wind at three miles an hour. So I'm going to give myself like an extra mile an hour. Say like, you know, in, in the terrain that I'm comfortable with. I'm, I'm not right. saying like if I went to like, um, you know, Somewhere some, like a, so, you know, some random place. Yeah. So, so let's, let's say, um, you know, but, but let's get, let's give us a little bit of a budget, right? So let's say, uh, you know, four to five miles an hour and, a, and an inch and a half. And, and, and uh, so, so now I've got, um, you know, uh, you know, three inches at, at 200 yards, which means six inches at, at 400 yards, nine, nine inches at 600 yards, you know, like, I mean, it, it, again, like this is a little crazy because I'm, I'm literally not going to shoot at six. I'm, I'm not going to, I want to get close. So I'm, I'm literally yeah. not going to do this, but, but let's just, let's just humor this. So at 600 yards, assuming I have, you know, good ammo, that, that I've loaded and tested and confirmed it, it shoots pretty good group. Um, All of the variables are in your favor. Right. I, I'm shooting a nine inch group, you know, uh, in a vacuum, right? right? I'm shooting a nine inch group at a, in a vacuum. But, but I have a, um, let's say my 6.5 Creedmoor is a, is a six mile an hour gun, right? So that means that at, at, at 600 yards, every mile an hour is going to expand that group by a tenth, a tenth of, an, uh, of a mil, right? So, so let's say five mile an hour plus or minus five miles an hour. So that's plus or minus five tenths, uh, which is um, like 1.5 MOA, right? So that's another nine inches right there. So, so now I've got an 18 inch group at 600 yards. If I can only, um, if I can only read the wind to five miles an hour. So the way I, if, if I shoot an inch and a half group, right? Which I, I, I guarantee you, I can do that. And I can read the wind to five miles an hour, which which I can guarantee you I could do that. That means that all of my shots are going to go inside of an 18-inch circle. Well, is it, you know, I don't, I don't, is it, if an elk's kill zone is 18 inches, I could tell you that I, I, I could and would put money on, you know, making a 600-yard shot, right? Right. Because I know for sure that when I take that shot, it is going inside that 18 inch circle, right? right? If I put out a paper plate, I'm going to shoot that paper plate at 600 yards, but I'm not going to do it. Right? I'm not going to do it because to me, that's not exciting. Um, you know, exciting would be getting in under 60 yards. Uh, and and um, so, so I, I think that, that but, but I'm using, you know, data that I've collected from, you know, now, I, I don't know, six, seven, eight thousand rounds on paper at a hundred yards with every caliber that I could get my hands on. Right. I know for sure, right? That that I mean, I'm getting really close to one inch. Right. Right. So so this is this is adding 50% of what I can actually do, what I know I can actually do right. is adding 50% to that. And then I'm saying, like, I could read the wind to three miles an hour, 
but you know, shit happens. So let's, let's, let's add two miles an hour. So five miles an hour. And, and I'm trying to use logic and I'm going towards the side of caution. So if I'm really going to put a hard number on it, I'm going to say, I'm not going to hunt past 600 yards. I would expect to drop the animal right there. And, and, and it's going to hit it in the kill zone. Exactly. Now the animal also is not going to just stand quarter to you. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it could be moving and it could be, um, and, and, and so, um, and, you know, to be totally honest, like if it was a survival situation, I'd probably also try to get closer and, and I would still be trying to make a shot that dropped it, you know, exactly where it was so that I didn't have to follow it or chase it or do anything unusual so that I knew that, that, that I could control the terrain that I'm in um, and, and, and a bunch of other, other variables, you know, a bad shot. Not, not only is it unethical, but oftentimes, you know, that bad shot wounds the animal and it basically like creates a hell of a lot more work for the hunter. And in that time, a lot of things can go wrong. And so, you know, not only is it unethical, but, you know, let's say you shoot a moose and it's going to die in the next 48 hours. Well, shit, that moose can go a long way in the next 48 hours. And if you chase it and get yourself lost, now you might, you know, you might get injured. You might need a rescue, yep. bad weather might come in, and you might be 10 miles farther than you anticipated on carrying, and that weighs a lot. And so you're, 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 you're layering in all this uncertainty that you don't have to simply because you didn't make a good shot. And I, I'm a, like, in that regard, I'm a total control freak. I want to say, if I'm going to go do this, you know, I don't mind walking 10 miles if I plan on it, but if I have to add another 10 miles because I made a bad shot, that's adding so many complicating factors that could literally create an emergency situation for you. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I think that, that, you know, it's, it's fun to think about, it's fun to speculate, but it's also um, in my mind, the responsible thing to quantify, spend a little bit of extra money in training. I, you know, I, I don't think that expensive rifle is, is necessary. I think good glass is necessary most cheaper rifles still shoot awesome so but but some of the money that you save in getting a little bit of a cheaper rifle uh with a good scope should be sent spent on training and spent on ammunition for that repetition and that data collection portion of it and i think if people did that there would be more success and and part of that training i think would be integral to to do a nrl hunter match as a skills division person because uh you learn so much because you're basically taking a lifetime of hunting and putting it into one event and then afterwards you could take away and say okay what do i need to work on and how do i break this down um that to me is is is, is fascinating absolutely and so that and that's how i would break it down for me i would say 600 yards is is as far as i would shoot an elk um and you know and then because of that um you know, I'd put a hard stop on it. And if I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's at 700 yards. Should I take it? Like, no, I'm going to get hundred yards closer. Like, that's fucking easy. Right. And at 600 yards, it's not going to hear me or smell me or, you know, I'm going to just get closer and then, um, and then I'll shoot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there's decisions that you can make when you have the information and, and, um, and, and just because you choose not to shoot doesn't mean that, that, it's over for you. It, it means that you're making a decision based on information and data that you have and, and you're 
maintaining control of the situation because when you start going beyond your capability, you lose control of a situation. And usually that's where you hear about bad things happening. And in, in every regard, in, in rock climbing, in, you know, in, in adventure, in, in, you know, I mean, you know, whatever. When, when you hear about bad situations happening, it's usually because people overstep their knowledge and skill sets and their ability to control a situation uh, yep. and, and things spin out of control. And, and the same thing goes for, uh, you know, shooting something uh, out there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm making it. It's, yeah. and I know it's a question that you weren't exactly thrilled to answer. And none of our, I mean, we literally were talking earlier today and we're like, let's just do a podcast today. And so we jumped on, on and they're doing our podcast. None of this was pre-scripted or, or none of these questions were thought of before. But I like asking that question about what a comfortable distance is to a skilled shooter like yourself, because it helps make those distances and those reality or those situations a reality to people who are nowhere near your skill set, right? You you hear about the guys who say they took super long shots and the whole nine yards, but they haven't put in a, a a tenth of the effort or practice or research or energy into becoming a skilled marksman like yourself. So mathematically, based upon the data that you've collected over, you know, your, your shooting career, you're saying 600 yards is where you would, you know, is that's your top threshold. So if you, one of, you know, one of the most skilled shooters right now is saying, I won't shoot past 600 yards, your average Joe that takes his rifle out once or twice a year shouldn't even be doing half of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell somebody what to do no, but, or what not to do. I'm just saying that, that for me, like that's how I would approach solving the problem. And for me, if I had to give you a number, I'd say 600 yards. And could I shoot? For, yeah, I mean, yeah, right at the finale, you know, we shot targets past a thousand yards, you know, that were pretty small and we hit them for a shot. But just because you do something, doesn't mean that you can do it every time. And, th and that's, that's the way I like to think about it. Like, well, you know, um, in this scenario, you know, people, people approach things, people approach things different. I'm not gonna, you know, that's one great thing about our country is that we got a lot of freedom to do stuff, but, but there are consequences to that. So I think that, you know, if, if a hunter chooses to shoot something past the range that they can reliably and repeatedly hit, a target of that you know they just have to understand that that there are consequences to that that they may not have thought of and i i, I may not have have thought of those uh things either right. um but but you know we're responsible for the rounds uh that we shoot and one consequence that that i think is interesting and it doesn't get discussed a ton but i don't know if it's appropriate to call it like the 2a community but but the hunting the the greater firearm community uh, is often kind of under a lens of anti-firearm owning people. And, and I don't know how big that community is because of the signal to noise ratio in, in the media and stuff like that. But, but you know, what one person does can often gain the attention of the people that are the most vocal against it. And so let's say they wounded an animal and that animal wandered into a a park and then all the tourists you know i think i even heard stories something like that somebody shot something and then it it like you know bled out and died 
you know, in front of a bunch of tourists and got a lot of negative attention. Like that is a consequence of making a bad shot and it doesn't go unnoticed by those people and those people vote. And so you could literally lose freedoms by doing something that, although it might not be illegal, it looks bad and that visibility ends up hurting us in the long run. And, and so when, when we talk about ethical shooting and unethical shooting, it could lead to losing privileges and rights that, that we think we're entitled to, but we're not, right? Because people can vote those rights out and they can change rules and, and people could lose, lose access to hunting and fishing and, and being able to do the things that we want to do simply because somebody feels like they could do whatever they want. And while they can, there are still consequences to that. And we can't predict what those consequences are. And so those actions, um, you know, I mean, as, as long as you understand and, and, and can kind of own that, I think it's just good to understand that, you know, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong necessarily, but I'm saying that, that it's not something that you can ignore because everybody's always being scrutinized for what they do with firearms and it gets harder and harder to get components and it gets harder and harder to do things. And, and it could be a responsible thing to, to consider and create kind of a, a you know, a, a, the concept of, of the ramification, you know, just talking about the ramifications, the unseen and unspoken ramifications of doing something. Um, but you also don't want to create scars there either. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated. It is. Um, and and it, I'm not, I'm not the person to necessarily have those conversations, but when it comes to analyzing things and quantifying them, I, I like to do that. And so, and, and people reach out a lot and say, you know, what do you think about this? And, and then I try to crunch the numbers. And if I can't crunch the numbers, you know, I just um, say like, look, you know, we're going to have to consult other experts or, or we're going to have to look at, look at data. But, but I do think that, uh, most applications, you know, when you're addressing using a firearm for anything, it starts with your skill set and and then the components that influence that skill set the most. And I don't think it's BC and bullet weight and and powder charge and and neck tension and and you know, did you, you know, do all this crazy reloading stuff uh, for the most part. You know, I think it's, you know, do you have the capability of, of, of keeping your group like even even realistically close to that on paper first before we start talking about all this crazy reloading stuff? And, and for most shooters that I've seen, that's the low hanging fruit is work on your skill at 100 yards. You'll get better. You'll get instant results sometimes um, and then start layering in stuff. Uh, at, a, at a distance, which takes time and effort. And then uh, once you can do that, you know, then start thinking about all of the crazy shit that you actually read about that probably has no impact on shooters' results in the first place. Um, you know, but with hunting though, um, the, the wound channel that's created, like, like the expansion of the bullet, I think is important. So, um, you know, uh, all those things aside, because I'm, I'm mostly like curious about competition and, and then the, the statistics and probability of hitting targets um you know when, when it does come to hunting you want that bullet to expand and create the, the wound channel and the cavitation 
you know, or whatever. You, I mean, you definitely want it to have the effects. And I, I do think that bullet selection can influence that. And, and I've seen oh, different degrees of expansion on the actual bullet. And so that, that's something that can't be overlooked for the, for the hunters is, is, is your bullet going to actually do what you want it to do when it hits the target, um, even at close range, because some bullets have had some jacket issues. So they've been kind of exploding in route. Um, and, and I actually, uh, I have some friends that went and shot some pigs and, and they, those same bullets that were kind of exploding because of jacket issues, they were, they were kind of vaporizing in the pig. So mm. the, it wasn't creating like a, a, a huge wound channel uh, and the bullet was kind of just, you know, they, could, they couldn't find the, the actual slug or the, the, the lead, you know. Uh, so that, uh, you know, I think, I think that's interesting. And some of the solid bullets, you know, going through stuff you know, just, just a hole that goes through tissue doesn't have the same effect in terms of, of bleeding out as something that expands and creates a massive internal hemorrhage. So, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, the bullet selection question is really important. And, um, and I don't know how you would really test that because some hunting bullets I've seen explode at, um, actually this last weekend at a local match, there was a, guy shooting and he had video of his bullets kind of exploding around 50 yards out you just see this big poof and and um you know that that would be something that i would want to look into to make sure that my bullets expanded and and uh, right. do some gel or some tissue maybe maybe like if you went to costco and just got some meat and shot it just to make sure that your bullet expanded the way you expected it to that might be a fun little test that you could do instead of getting ballistic gel you know just right. go get like get some actual flesh yeah. yeah, get it and shoot it, and then try to see how that bullet expanded uh, to create the amount of um, damage that you need. Uh, you know, not only the energy delivery, but but also the the, the wound channel and stuff channel. like that. But but um, but I think you know that that um, I don't know. Maybe there's a there's an outlet or a market for 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 a product for these hunter matches that we could shoot and then look at our. The effect our bullet has that could be a fun side stage like to have a bunch of be. ballistic gel yeah. and then see like who has the biggest wound channel generating uh bullet instead of power factor like wound channel factor would <laughs> 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 be, be pretty cool um, that'd be pretty cool um man chris it, it's already been i think almost two hours and shut up yeah we it's it's four o'clock my time i think we started at like 1 30 or two o'clock what, what does your phone say? I don't know. I've just, phones have come in. Uh, it says, uh, holy shit, you're right. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut us off here. Cause I know if we keep going, I mean, there's still a ton that we could talk about. And we talk so much every week. Um, but for our, our, our listeners, I think it's a good place to kind of stop here with this podcast. I think we should do another one and we can talk about ballistics and talk about all kinds of other stuff as well. Um, but before we sign off, is there anything that you want to, uh, you want to say to the listeners before we, we call it a day or let's wrap it up and, and do it again soon. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, you know, go do a hunter, hunter match. You'll learn a lot. Even if you think you're awesome at everything, uh, there's the, the hunter matches, I think expose the most from a well-rounded skill set of, of, of any match and, uh, and it's just fun. Like it's it's like a it it's like a festival of shooting. It's a it's a really good time, and and uh, I can't encourage uh, people more than 
that I do already, just that, that right now that, that is probably the most fun thing that you can go do and it's growing. And it's the kind of thing that you see people bringing kids and friends and new shooters to, and them having a good time and wanted to come back to like, it's, it's pretty awesome. And, nice. um, and, and even for people that, that have everything figured out, like it'll teach you a lesson or two. There you go. Kind of stuff. So anyway, yeah. If, and, and anybody, you can reach out to me on social media. Uh, and uh, so yeah, hit me up and I'll see you guys out there. I'm gonna try to do as many as I can and continue uh to to ask questions and and uh get people fired up by 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 seeing what they think about random things oh yeah all right guys we appreciate you taking your time to to hang out with us today um i know it's been a long but hopefully you guys found interesting show i love man like i said before i love talking with chris i always learn something new um until next time you guys stay safe keep shooting and we'll see you all to match take care